empire of lies. It's time for the show that brings you the truth a pro liberty, pro free speech, anti censorship show. This is the backstory. Hey there, how you doing, Rod? You have a nice weekend? I'm doing well, Lee. Uh, you know, normal, nothing crazy. Uh, how about yourself? How you feeling? Uh, I'm feeling fine, and it was a normal weekend here, too, although it was a bit cold. It was five below zero, forgive me, five below freezing last night. That's 27 degrees, and it's still cold, even though it's not below zero. That's coming later in the year, but it's still cold. But uh, did you have any sub-freezing weather in your part of the world, Rod? Uh, no, actually, it was a uh, pretty nice. Um, yesterday was Sunday. I think yeah, Saturday was actually it was pretty nicely. It was like uh, mid 60s, so it was nice. Okay, rub it in. Go ahead, Sorry. Rod. Sure. So, uh, have we heard from Carmine yet? Okay, so is theoretically Carmine Monday at some point, but not now. But uh, let me talk about who's on the show. The great Ian Schilling, live from London, is with us in the first hour. And the second hour, a familiar voice to people who are longtime listeners of the backstory, the former co-host of this very show, former CIA agent and whistleblower John Kiriakou will be with us in the second hour. Looking forward to talking to John, as always. And... As always, we're taking your calls, 202-521-1320. This, Rod, do the honors. You're listening to the best show on the radio, The Backstory. Now, so Rod, it seems like so long ago, but I had a lot to talk about, about Elon Musk today. And The thing that happened, it seemed like forever ago, but it was only Friday. On Friday, Elon Musk, founder of Tesla and Starlink, was put on the Ukrainian kill list. You saw that, right, Rod? Yeah, uh, I was hoping you were going to bring him up, Lee, because he's he's been contradicted himself. But yeah, I did see that, yeah. It's a big story. But by the next, he was only on it for 50 minutes, but still... Being on the kill list for any, any amount of time. And speaking of Starlink, that's his satellite service. And what he had been doing since the beginning of the Russian conflict with Ukraine, he's been supplying Ukraine with the Starlink, you know, satellite based internet providing, you know, dishes, basically. So Ukraine had internet thanks to Elon Musk. And not only did the people have it, but the military was using it. Then on Friday, he said, I can't afford to give you free internet anymore. And so he sees the Pentagon's paying a lot of money to other companies. So I said, can I get paid for this by the Pentagon? And that's why they put him on the kill list. Now, some might call him ungrateful, Some might call them Nazi murderers. I'll call them ungrateful Nazi murderers. Did you see see the reason he was on the kill list, Rod? 
Oh, wasn't it that he was questioning what was going on over there? Um, I, I think no, is that he wanted to charge for internet. Oh, okay. So that's the main reason. I thought it, I thought he was because he, he was questioning, it, and then he then uh, he followed up with that. Um, but then I saw he put out a tweet where he was like, "Well, to hell with it. You know, I'll just I'll just provide Ukraine internet," which I found disappointing. And that's what I call giving into murder threats, which he undoubtedly did. But our colleague Wyatt Reed, did he give into murder threats? He's on the kill list. Wyatt Reed, a great reporter and correspondent for Sputnik. He's on the murder list, but you did not see him say, call up our boss and say, you know what? Can I cover weed legalization in Canada? Get me out of here. And they launched a missile at his hotel. We talked about that last week with Wyatt and the great Mark Sabota. So I would say that while Elon Musk, it's understandable he doesn't want to get killed. No one does. I assume Wyatt does not have a death wish either. But I think he gave in to the murder threats. And I think it's outrageous, completely outrageous. No one in the U.S. has stood up to say a damn thing about this murderless so far. And the stupid people on Twitter, I posted something about that over the weekend. And I had idiots on Twitter telling me, that the murder list is not real. And he was never put on any murder list. And what I've noticed is Ukraine supporters are stupid. This is what I've noticed. By, by stupid, I mean intentionally stupid. They could have, before they tweeted me, they could have bothered to look into it for two seconds because major media reported that Elon Musk was on the kill list. That did not come out of RT or Sputnik, or some guy with a Russian name, whatever. It was in major media. Is there any doubt, Rod, that Elon Musk was on the Ukrainian kill list? Any doubt at all? No, it's 100 percent, Lee. Uh, I think even President Zelensky had commented on it as well. So, yeah, and I, I think uh, you know I agree with you. Uh, it's disappointing to see Elon Musk cower to this, but then at the same time he's he's, he's straddling the fence, and I don't like that, Lee, especially in a situation like this, because he's also came out today and said that uh, Crimea is integral in, uh, to Russia, and it you know um, it's a part of Russia, and if uh, anybody tries to you know make Crimea part of Ukraine, it'll be World War Three. So he knows he knows what's going on, but he'll still oh you know what I'll I'll, I'll uh, still provide internet to Ukraine no matter what. Right. And I pointed out that his Starlink systems have therefore, since they've been used by the Ukrainian military, they've been killed to use Russian speaking people in Ukraine before they joined the Russian Federation, but also Russian soldiers. So if anyone was going to put him on a kill list, you'd think it would be Russia, right? Because his equipment's being used to kill Russians. But Putin did not put him on a kill list. Russia has tried to disable that Starlink system. That's one thing. But Putin did not say, let's kill Elon Musk. And that's why Ukraine is an evil, murderous regime. And I said, and it's one of the reasons that I am proud to be uh, standing with Russia in this conflict. Because it's one thing to want to take out the equipment. 
It's another thing to take out the guy who owns the company. Do you agree, Rod? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Russia has never said that they want to take out Elon Musk, but uh, they have said they've been trying to take out that, uh, or they have been trying to take out the internet over there and those uh, satellites. I've seen you. I've seen these uh, people in the Ukrainian military take pictures with the satellite as well. And what he said was, and in this regard, Elon Musk is better than all of the media in the U.S. and the U.K. By the way, Rod, when is Ian Schilling with us? Quarter after or half past? Half past. Okay, just checking. Because we know Ian stays up late, right? That, that's correct. He's a night owl. He haunts London late at night with his fabulous accent and great laugh. But uh, Elon, we're talking about Crimea today. You're right. He was tweeting about it. And what he said was the Russian view is that Crimea is part of Russia. And taking away Crimea would be like taking away Pearl Harbor from the U.S. Now, he did not say the Russians are right about that. I'll say it. The Russians are right about that. The Russians are in the right here. And by the way, he didn't say that the Russians went into Crimea after Ukraine had threatened to go down and murder Russian-speaking people in Crimea. Ukraine had said in 2014, we'll send a caravan down to take care of the Russian-speaking people. He didn't mention that part, but I'll mention it. But at least, what I'm saying he's better than all the media. At least he said, I'm trying to understand Russia's position, and you should too. You should understand that this is what Russia thinks. And that's all I've ever asked. Look, the media, what they need to do is not take Russia's side. I think they should take Russia's side, as I do. However, at least present the position fairly. Does that make sense, Rod, why Elon Musk is better than all the media outlets in that he's at least trying to look at, look, what do they want and why do they want it, according to them? So I think he did a great job of presenting the position fairly. But I don't think, you know, Elon Musk is not a foreign affairs expert. He's a smart, rich guy who's successful in business, but he's not a foreign affairs guy. So I understand somewhat why he's going along with the mainstream narrative as much as he is. But more than most people, he's questioning it. And my hat's off to him for that. I actually took my hat off, Rod, if you weren't watching for one second. My libertarian baseball hat. But uh, let's go to calls. Any final thoughts on that, Rod, before we get off the subject of Elon Musk? And we'll be talking about Kanye next, which is you know, going uh, along in the controversial route. Any final thoughts on that, Rod? Elon Musk? Yeah, you know, he's been on a kind of a roller coaster, I guess, what has it been? Seems like two weeks now. But I mean, if, you, if we go back to the beginning, he put out a, a peace plan and, you know, Ukraine told him to F off. You know, he's like you said, he's a, he's a Liter smart. Literally, yeah. by the way. Yeah, literally. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not, I'm quoting it. They told him to F off. Um, and, and not Ukrainians, government officials. Let's point out that a diplomat said F off. And he didn't say the F, he said the whole thing. As right. an obscene Anglo-Saxon word, so four letters, 
starts with F, ends with K. You figure it out. But by the way, if you can't figure it out, this is not the show for you. But uh, a Ukrainian diplomat said that. So go on, Rod. Yeah, so he's a smart guy. And, you know, I don't know if he's just doing this really slowly at a turtle's pace, but obviously one country is receptive to you. And, like, yeah, of course, let's do it. Or, you know, that would be okay. You know, your peace plan, you know, you know, uh, it sounds, sounds, uh, sounds good versus, you know, uh, like you said, a government official telling you to F off. So he's going at a turtle's pace to, you know, get to the end goal of saying that, you know what, maybe Ukraine is a Nazi regime and, and whatnot. Now, 202-521-1320 is the number to call. And on the line right now, part of our backstory family of callers, Tarif in Louisiana. You're on the air, Tarif. What's on your mind? Thank y'all for taking my call today. First, I'd like to say free June Assange. I have two comments. First comment is this, that it seems like the U.S., the Western powers, is putting troops back into Haiti to stop the revolution that's going on there, where people want the president out. That's really not the president because he was put in by the Western powers. So we got to um, tell the U.S. and Canada and France to take the troops out. My second comment is dealing with Elon Musk. Okay. Um, it, 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 it's not a coincidence that uh, the FBI, excuse me, the feds is looking into him right now before he uh, purchased Twitter, which is the deadline is October the 28th, to purchase it with the drudge order. I think, in my opinion, that they're trying to also hold him up where if he, once he purchased it uh, and find out where those boxes at, box at and stop shadow banning, well, they're going to try to uh, get him to uh, they're gonna, uh, slow him down while he ain't going to purchase it before November the 8th. Because if he purchased it before November the 8th, then you're going to have less shadow bans on people telling the truth about Hunter Biden and other things of that nature. People tweet getting out there. That's really going to hurt the DNC. Well, the, uh, the conservatives really going to start. And uh, also people dealing with the independent media is going to put stuff out there. Maybe maybe unchecked. So I think they're gonna to try to wait till after November eight, where he can um, go forward and get Twitter. Right now, I think they're slowing him down, which is a political hit job. That's my opinion. I I, I agree. This political hit job. And let me point out that because they put him on a kill list, I don't think Elon Musk should have any loyalty to Ukraine. But furthermore. Because of all the stuff they've done to him. I seem to remember, Rod, when Jen Psaki was the press secretary, her attacking Elon Musk from the podium. Do I remember that correctly? Oh, yeah, for sure. She uh, she sharpened her arrows and shot him at Elon. Elon Musk, you owe no loyalty to Ukraine or uh, other than, I mean, lo- loyalty, you know, I, you know, salute the flag, whatever. But he knows no loyalty to the Biden regime. Do you think that's the case? That if Elon were smart, he'd go, the Biden regime isn't my friend either. So I shouldn't help them. Yeah, no, he doesn't have too many friends even here in America as well. So, yeah. Now, there's a lot of Kanye West news. The big headline today is that apparently he's buying the social media platform Poller, which is also known as Discount Gab. Is that fair to say, Rod? <laughs> yeah, I think that's. I think, I think that's very fair. But I think if he bought it, if he goes through with it, I think that would be uh, at least initially interesting to see what would happen. 
Yes, and uh, Kanye, uh, uh, Poller is the Kmart of Gab. I'll, that's my take on it. But Kanye owning it would be interesting. And I think Kanye is worried because he's seeing how the cancel stuff comes in. Now, he said some apparently stuff. I didn't see this statement. Did you see he was mad about his ex-wife, Kim Kardashian, and apparently she's sleeping with Pete Davidson the, from SNL? Did you see that? Yeah, he was on a on a show called Drink Champs, uh, hosted by rapper uh, Noriega from Queens. And uh, he said a lot of things. Uh, one of the things that uh, I wanted to bring up with a guest, uh, maybe Rabbi Yakov, he talked about Zionism. You know, that's a big, big, big no-no. You can't talk about that stuff. You know, Professor Griff got in trouble for that, for talking about Zion, just quoting uh, a book about Zionism. But yeah, he was also talking about uh, some fireplace he built um, and that uh, his ex-wife and uh, Pete Davidson were having relations in front of his fireplace. Yeah, and... Uh some people, like Joel Pollack with Breitbart News, thought it was plain anti-Semitism. And Joel's a guy who I like. Uh, and it seemed borderline. But a lot of people confused Judaism with Zionism. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, for sure, Lee. And, uh, you know, ever since I've been listening to Fault Lines and, and also you know, working on this show and all the guests, you know, I've got a clear understanding. I think he has a somewhat... Uh, clear understanding than most the average person, but you know, he does go uh, a little erratic, and so people get um, don't get the clear the message. Um, but like you know, just that he brought up that you know Jewish Zionism, you know, I mean, most people have no idea what he's talking about. Now I'm going to go to Ingrid in one second. So Ingrid, hold on, please. Uh, but oh, she, she did not hold on. So I'm not going to go to Ingrid. But it, at risk of Owl killer making fun of me. Let me drop some lyrics. Let me spit. Okay, Rod. Go ahead, Lee. Drop, drop, okay. drop a line. Yeah, yeah. Say okay. Yeah, that's that's good. Uh, because Griff didn't just get in trouble for that, but Chuck D said, "And welcome to the Terragome, uh, so-called chosen, frozen. Apologies made. Whoever pleases, still they got me like Jesus, and that's." He was dealing with the anti-Semitism accusations because P.E. was associated in some way with Nation of Islam. Chuck D. came out and said positive stuff about Louis Farrakhan, uh, and that got him in a lot of trouble. And so he was dealing with that cancel culture. Now, I want to talk about cancel culture as being applied against Candace Owens. Because also, when I was talking to Noriega, uh, Kanye brought up Candace Owens, and that brought him a ton of hate on Twitter. Did you see all the hate? Oh yeah, for sure, Lee. Um, uh, to, me, to me, it's so strange. You know, it's almost sacrilegious how people protect George Floyd now. Uh, that, that's, she had a Black Lives Matter documentary that came out. I've heard mixed reviews, you know, I guess most people give it like a six out of 10, I guess. Um, and she talked about George Floyd. She interviewed his roommates and she pretty much, you know, detailed what, what happened in the court. And, uh, you know, he was his drug use. He's overdosed before and that he called his girlfriend mama and things like that. Now, that is apparently racist to point out that he was a drug user who was on drugs 
that he'd stuffed in his mouth before he started assaulting cops. Apparently, that's racist, Rod. Do I get the new rules? Yeah, that's what I've been seeing from uh, a lot of people with uh, a lot of followers on Twitter. It's a uh, it's a racist theory that he overdosed. Um, so here we and are. He, and then I saw I, I I saw an ungrateful multimillionaire celebrity attack Candace Owens and talk about the plight of black people, and she doesn't understand. A guy who has more money than Candace Owens will ever have. That's comedian Dave Chappelle. And I like a lot of Dave's comedy. I think he's a very talented stand-up. However, we're going to play this clip. This is outrageous. What Dave Chappelle said against Candace and his reason for doing it, I completely disagree with. So I wanted to play that on the show today. Let's get that clip ready and hit it when you're ready. She's the worst. I can't think of a worse way to make money. She's the most articulate idiot I've ever seen in my life. She's so articulate, she can tell you how stupid she is precisely. And she told George Floyd's rap record on the internet. Oh, he was uh, this, he did that, and he was, he's a drug addict. And he's not a hero. And why does the black community make him a hero? Why do you choose him as a hero? We didn't choose him. You did. They killed him. And that wasn't right. So he's the guy. We're not desperate for heroes in the black community. Any that survives this nightmare is my damned hero. You've survived pretty well, Dave. You've done pretty well for yourself. You've done pretty well for yourself. Multiple hit shows. Obviously, America does not hate black people, or you have no audience whatsoever. And she she got attacked because she's a woman, and she takes a different political position than him. He did not note anything, and he's saying it's outrageous to bring up anything about George Floyd, like this and that. He talks about by this, he may mean the time during a home invasion that he held a gun against a pregnant woman's belly. Remember that one, Rod? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And the circumstances of his death. And I saw Kanye bring up the fact that there was no knee on his neck. Right? Yeah. From some angles, it looked like that was going on. But other angles, it's clear there was not a knee on his neck, on George Floyd's neck. Is that right, Rod? Yeah, and in Candace, in Candace Owens um, in film, she makes uh, she points out the fact that uh, if you look at Derek Chauvin, you know, we're not getting a, a clear view of him, but he's like 5'8", 165 pounds. And if you, I mean, uh, uh, George Floyd is clearly an athletic guy. Uh, he's six four, like at least two hundred and fifteen pounds. So even if he did have his knee on his neck, you know, uh, one hundred sixty five pound versus skinny guy versus a, a well built athletic guy, you know what I mean? Yes. So that's also a fact that people don't don't even think about. And what they did was the footage that came out, the ten seconds or whatever, it it showed none of the run up, and the city of Minneapolis kept the cam the body cam footage from the police 
under wraps for months. So no one would see that George Floyd had assaulted the police officers. Keith right? Ellison. Keith Ellison, the, uh, the attorney general. Good see. point. Yeah. The former congressman, Keith Ellison. Right. And so let's go. We have a lot to talk to Ian about, but we'll probably have more to say about the Kanye thing later. And also, I'll say something about the current controversy about PayPal and why I think people on the right are being stupid about this. But that's coming up later. In the meantime, let's go to London, not actually Rod, you know, just call uh, and talk to Ian Schilling after this break on the backstory. back in the backstory and on 105.5 FM AM 1390 in Washington DC the capital of the empire of lies join us now from London the great geopolitical analyst and all-around good guy we love his laugh the great Ian Schilling is with us hey Ian how you doing hi Lee I'm great <laughs> not a lot to laugh about today though in London <laughs> Uh, there is. It's a complete farce in, in the British government. <laughs> well, so we, we've been talking for a few weeks. It seems like ever since she, let's go over the timeline again. Liz Truss became prime minister a few weeks ago. Two days after she was prime minister, the queen died. Queen Elizabeth passed away. So for two weeks after that, there was basically no news about Liz Truss because everyone was focused on the Queen's funeral. Then as soon as she came, you know, as soon as the focus was on her, she announced a policy of cutting taxes for the wealthy, cutting the rate. And I'm not going to get into the debate whether that's a good idea or bad idea, but it was a very unpopular idea. Is that right, Ian? Yes. Yes, you've got it all right so far, yes. But, yes. So they, 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 were, they announced mass, massive uh, tax cuts without any cuts in spending. So the, so the deficit was going to balloon again. And they didn't know how much this the, the subsidies for the um, fuel bills, electricity bills and gas bills was going to be. It was about $100 billion or whatever they were estimating. But they didn't really know how much it was going to cost because they didn't know what the gas price was going to be. So it was no. they were just printing money. I mean, the reason we've got massive inflation in the world today is because governments around the world massively printed currency for the, for the all the COVID ridiculous things that went on. I mean, America printed three, four trillion over it, and and the EU printed about the same, and the UK printed four hundred billion, and then they're surprised that they get inflation because there's more money floating around. I mean, it's just ridiculous. So then Liz Truss's answer to it was to print more money. <laughs> That's really going to cure inflation. So the Bank of England then intervened to try and prop up the uh, UK Treasury market. But, I mean, Biden's doing the same thing in, in America. I mean, the, the so-called Inflation Reduction Act is printing another $370 billion. So it's inflation production. 
If you print more currency, you'll get more inflation. So Biden's doing the same thing as Trust is. But, but in the UK today, it's really hilarious what happened today. She, she, she suddenly sacked, sacked her chancellor, the, the equivalent of the Secretary of the Treasury, and um, imposed a glo evil globalist, Jeremy Hunt, probably the worst person in the entire parliament to be a new chancellor. And he's, he just announced a, a new budget today in the house of parliament which which completely scraps the mini budget that they did a couple of weeks ago so all all those tax cuts are gone and, and he's he's also saying they'll have to do 40 billion of spending cuts as well and he's going to talk to all the all the departmental ministers to see how they're going to cut 40 billion of spending <laughs> that's going to go down well <laughs> So, so there's half an hour statement in the comments this afternoon about half past four. And Liz Truss sat there. She came in about two minutes before the Chancellor was set to get up and speak. She sat down. She didn't talk to any of the cabinet sitting next to her. She just sat there, sat there stony faced. And then the Chancellor read out he was scrapping, scrapping all the budget that, that she and her previous Chancellor had done. And she looked, looked, looked sulked throughout <laughs> didn't speak to anyone and then when he finished she just suddenly walked out again <laughs> didn't, wait, didn't wait for the questions after the after this chance of the speech or anything just walked out before that <laughs> hey, pure fast. And, and, right now and, and let's talk about that the new chancellor jeremy hunt is because the old chancellor was forced to resign after a couple weeks you know basically <laughs> I'm, I'm well, discounting it. Queens. He wasn't forced to resign. Trust sacked him. Yes. Now, <laughs> what's he that? Was an embarrassment. Liz right, Trust yeah. sacked him because he was an embarrassment. I mean, he's always been totally clueless. Oh, what on earth got into her head to appoint someone as clueless as he is to, to be Chancellor of the Exchequer? It's just ridiculous. I mean, he, he's always come across to me as a complete idiot. I mean, he's a village idiot in the House of Commons. <laughs> Well, now, now, I understand that Liz Truss had a disaster of a press conference last week. So she's not doing well in front of the press, correct? Oh, yeah, they're, they're really going for it. And now she's 36 points behind in the polls. 36 points. I mean, previously, before she came in, it was about 10 points different between Labour and Tories. And now, now Labour are 36 points ahead, which is even larger than, than the uh, the polls were saying before Tony Blair got a landslide in 1997. So <laughs> whatever happens now, the UK is totally screwed. We've had it. It's going to go downhill rapidly, whatever happens. If Liz Truss stays on, it's going to get worse. If she gets replaced in the Tory party leadership, it's going to get worse. And if uh, Keir Starmer gets gets put in as prime minister, it's going to be worse. So it's, there's no prospect of anything good happening. But at least it's entertaining. Now, you've got to be careful, Ian, because we're dealing with the U.S. FCC. But I know one thing in British like is like rhyming like Cockney rhyming slang. Is there a word that may rhyme with Jeremy Hunt's last name that people yes. refer to him as? But be yes. careful. All the time, yes. yes. That was just a guess. So <laughs> the people in the pubs, they may have another name for him. 
Is that correct? He's That's not popular. popular. He's been called that all the time. Yeah, he used to. He, he used to be the previous health minister before Matt Hancock. So, you know, in the, uh, five years ago or something, he, he was the he was the health minister, and he got called that all the time. Because he was wrecking the health service. <laughs> and then Matt Hung Hancock now, demolished it. <laughs> now, it's very clear to me that no one is running things exactly in England. The, 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 I would say the closest that I can come to who's running things is the WEF, the World Economic Forum. I'd say England is implementing the leadership that they want, and that's a group that does not believe in national sovereignty. The WEF doesn't care about the people of England and even the leadership because Liz Truss, we've been saying for months that she's apparently, she has no charisma, right? She, yep. there's, she's not a likable person. So this is what I'll call political chaos. Even though you have a prime minister, you don't have any clarity about how long the prime minister is going to be in. I understand they can't kick her out in England for at least, she has to serve one year. Am I correct in that? Yeah, they can't have, under the current rules, they can't have a leadership election within one year of a new leader, yes. But, but there's certain Tory politicians in the House of Commons and Lords that are plotting to change the rules so they can kick her out earlier. <laughs> Now, and uh, these new regulations that Hunt put into place, he did it to stabilize the markets, he said. What happened to the markets after his announcement? Were they stabilized, Ian? Yeah, well, the stock market went up 1% and the value of the pound against the dollar also went up. Yes. So, yeah, I mean, it did stabilize it because he reduced the deficit. So the, so the debt market, I mean... The UK, the UK is massively over over indebted. The national debt is huge. I mean, it's not as bad as some other places like America or Italy, but it's very bad. It's over, it's over 100% of GDP. I mean, Italy's about 160%. America's about 110%. But I mean, they don't talk about the about the national debt much in America, do they? But they, but it's massive, right? And all the um. All the Western countries have got the same pensions crisis because they're not, they, they just haven't got the, the, the revenue to pay the pensions that they promised. So, I mean, the, the American Social Security, that, that, that's, that's bankrupt. It's not solvent. They've taken all the money out to, <laughs> and, and replaced it with IOUs in the American Social Security. And the same thing in the British British pension funds. There's no money in the kitty to pay pensions. They have to do it at the taxes or, or raise debt. So the long-term the long term prospect of paying the, the uh, promised British pensions are zero, right? There's got to be massive inflation and a debt default or whatever. But that, I mean, it's not just that America and the UK, it's all over Europe. Well, Italy, France, Spain. I mean, even Germany's getting bad now. Germany used to be the most, you know, most, the least profligate, shall we say. 
But I mean, they're spending money like anything as well now because they, their economy is in trouble. So you know, Germany was forever trying to get stop Italy overspending and stop France overspending and whatever else in the EU. And the other countries didn't like it because the governments like to like to borrow money and promise the public, don't they, to get their poll ratings up. So now, I mean, uh, this is this is all the great reset though. They're, they're creating all this eco- economic economic storm because they want total chaos and economic collapse, and they they can bring in all these draconian laws, massive surveillance, and digital central bank digital currencies, and transhumanism, digital IDs, and all the rest of it. So that you know, people are treated just like cattle. Right, they will be tagged with a digital ID, and if they don't behave, they'll get sent off to the slaughterhouse, basically. Now, because Hunt had the most success that the Trust administration has had, it did stabilize the market somewhat. As you pointed out, 1% increase, but that's not dropping like a bomb, at least it's some stability. It's clear to me that Trust is not running the show that Hunt is. And yeah, well, they, they, they've is, even put that in the mainstream papers, that, that Jeremy Hunt is now the de facto prime minister. <laughs> they've actually said it out loud. And, I, I mean, and, and I, Jeremy Hunt is 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 the car, carbon WEF globalist. Right? It's been to WEF loads of times, right? And d- doing chats and interviews at the, d- the d- World Economic Forum. Whatever. It's horrible. Well, one thing is clear is the markets, the stock market and so on, and the banks like the WEF agenda, right? I mean, no, no wonder it's somewhat stabilized because it may be bad for the people, but they like it. Does that make sense, Ian? Well, all the financial institutions, yeah. I mean, because the value of all their their government debt holdings, their treasury holdings, and UK government gilts, they're, they're all they're all going down because interest rates are going up. So they don't like it. So it's got it's going to cause financial instability in the big banks again, just like it did in two thousand and eight, right? It's it's slow burn and slow cooking at the moment, but it's gonna it's gonna boil up next year probably. Now, how long do you give Liz Truss as prime minister? Even though, in theory, it should be at least a year. I don't well, think it's gonna, six she's going to last. She'll be out long. within six months. She might last till Christmas, but early next year. Now, what's the over and under about Truss versus Macron? Because I'm sure you saw a lot across the ch- channel, a lot of protests in France this weekend, but very violent protests. Did you see that again? Yeah, all, all the police were tear gassing the protesters again, weren't they? Or f- macing them with um, pepper spray and whatever. Now, maybe you can explain something to me. There was something last week that happened, and then another one uh, uh, involving tomato soup at the National Gallery and throwing tomato soup on a Van Gogh painting. What was up with that? I don't even get that protest. They're mad at Van Gogh, what? 
But it's got it's got nothing to do with climate. I mean, it's all the climate change nut jobs that have been brainwashed into thinking that man-made climate change is real. <laughs> to, to, totally out of their brains, right? And they'll do anything to disrupt things. I mean, they've been pour, pouring milk out of supermarket shelves and in in uh, markets, department stores in the UK like Fortnum and Masons. They've been sitting in the street and blocking the traffic and upsetting everybody and blocking emergency vehicles to attending emergencies right and then gluing themselves to to the, the wall in portrait galleries throw, throwing things over van gogh portraits and all, all sorts of things yeah they're just i mean there's a relatively small number of these right it's probably 200 at the most right they're all doing protests in twos and threes but it's caused a lot of disruption and the police aren't doing anything to stop them really and and I have a suggestion for the police in London. Next time people throw uh, soup on a priceless masterpiece like Van Gogh's sunflowers and then super glues their hands to the wall, I can solve that one. Just pull them up by the waist away hard. And if a little bit of their hand sticks on the wall, so <laughs> be it. Yeah. What say you, Ian? Yeah. Well, something's got to be done to deter them. <laughs> And how outraged were people in, in London? Did they make any friends? Did they get no, any people? Oh, no, I mean, the, the, the people, people stuck in huge traffic jams. But they were, you know, half a dozen people blocking the street, sitting in the street. No, they were, they're dead angry. <clears throat> I mean, lorry drivers, van drivers, taxi drivers, and public driving ordinary cars or whatever. They're trying to pull them out of the way. They're grabbing them by their by the back of their neck, their, their shirts and whatever, and physically dragging them off. But they, they drag them off to the side of the street, and then they, they walk back again into the middle of the street when they're trying to get the next one. So they didn't have a lot of success. You need about six policemen to drag all six off at once. And what's funny, of course, is that they, they think they're being rebels. But in fact, they're promoting the same agenda as the WF, right? Yeah, and the, and the billionaire globalists. Yeah, the billionaires. That's they're, they're supporting the agenda of the billionaires to enslave the population. That's what they're doing. So useful idiots. Yeah, and oh, very useful, useful idiots for, for people like Soros. Yeah. <laughs> so you mentioned COVID. Let's talk about that a little bit. So a lot of information is coming out now that COVID vaccines may have led to massive numbers of heart attacks. We're seeing that around the world. How do you react to some of the news, Ian, that the vaccines, I know you're shocked, may not be safe, may not have been tested enough before they're brought to market and are not effective against transmission of COVID-19. What's your reaction to that news, Ian? Well, this this has been known for nigh on what, eighteen months or so. Uh, we we knew that there was an increased risk of, of heart attacks, and we know the mechanism for why why it causes heart attacks. The spike proteins produced by these gene therapy injections—they're not vaccines by any any stretch of the imagination that a vaccine is supposed to supposed to stop infections transmission and serious illness and they don't do any of that 
They, they don't reduce infections, they don't in, reduce transmission, and they don't reduce your chances of going, being hospitalised or dying of COVID. They are completely useless. They got no benefit whatsoever. And after a while, after after a number of shots of this, it destroys it's, it destroys your immune system. So you're more likely to catch COVID and other diseases, and it also makes you more susceptible to things like cancer. So there's going to be a hell of a lot, lot of long-term deaths over this, and nobody's going to admit that it's due to these injections. But but the mechanism for causing cancer is known because it suppresses a a a, a natural process in the cells that stops stops mutations right so it corrects mutate there's a process in the cells that corrects mutations and these clot shot injections stop that so cancer is caused by mutated cells cells going out of control and and dividing rapidly growing too fast so there's going now, to be a, hu a huge outbreak of cancer. We know that there's huge numbers of people going down with myocarditis and heart disease and all these fit and healthy athletes are suddenly dying with heart damage. I mean, there's another one another one in the news today that there was a British footballer who, who was a Premier League player, like top flight player. He had to retire at 24 because of heart damage. Now, I wonder what caused that. 24 and he had to retire. It's amazing. Now, I'm going to stay on the COVID topic, but I'll point out that you were talking about Liz Trust before, and you were saying that it's a debacle there. And in contrast to the U.S., what the Biden administration does is they just deny there's a problem. And Anthony Fauci was making his kind of farewell media tour. He was on the Sunday shows this weekend. And uh, Fauci is like a member of the Biden administration, simply denying the problem. So let's get that clip ready. Anthony Fauci talking about school closings. Hit it. State in so many states and so many localities uh, to see schools closed as long as they were. I think in some case, I don't want to use the word mistake, John, because if I do, it gets taken out of the context that you're asking me the question on. Well, it was uh, be I, too high a price. Yeah, I would say that what we should realize and have realized that there will be deleterious collateral consequences when you do something like that. This idea that this virus doesn't afflict children is not so. It does. We've lost close to 1,500 kids so far. But with, much less than yeah. the older population, obviously. Oh, of course. Yeah, yeah. But you shouldn't discount that it does afflict children. So it isn't without consequences. If you go back, and I ask anybody to go back over the number of times that I've said we've got to do everything we can to keep the schools open, no one plays that clip. They always come back and say Fauci was responsible for closing schools. I had nothing yeah. to do. I mean, you're, I you're, mean you're, let's get down to the facts. Well, he does have to do with what he's saying now. So he's saying 1,500 children have died of COVID. Do you believe that number coming from Fauci, Ian? No, no. All, all these children, or 99% or of them, died from something else. They're counting children who died of leukemia, who already had leukemia and were going to die of leukemia, and then they test positive for COVID, and then they count it as a COVID death. 
death when they've got late stage leukemia. So all the children that they he said these fifteen hundred children were seriously ill with things like cancer. Right. So they were already very seriously ill and they probably would have died anyway. OK, so right. it's just because uh, all, all it needs is a COVID, for, for a COVID death, an official COVID death is any 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 de death from any cause within 28 days of a positive test. So you don't even have to have COVID because a positive test doesn't mean you've got COVID. Uh, you might you might have had COVID three months ago and still test positive for it. So so it's just completely ludicrous that they've invented a fraudulent definition of a COVID death, which is death from any cause within 28 days of a, a, a positive COVID test. So, I mean, there was a case in America in 2020 where there was a murder-suicide. A, a, a man killed his wife with a gun, shot her, and then shot himself. And then they, when, when they did the investigation, they both tested positive. Well, they both tested positive for COVID a short time before so they put down his covid deaths and in florida there was a guy who had a motorcycle accident and died from a motorcycle crash and he tested positive from covid for a few a, a few weeks before so they marked him down as a covid death as well and then they had to admit that they made a mistake and change it but we don't know how many more of these sort of things were so it's completely fraudulent the, the official death rate is about 10 times what, what it really is right so 90 percent of what they say are covid deaths weren't covid deaths at all they died of something else so in things like cancer or heart attacks or strokes or dementia or diabetes or any of the other things that people normally die of and you know that's that's why they or most of the covid deaths are frail elderly people because they're the people that would die anyway right if you're if you're 90 and you're very frail and you've got diabetes and heart problems well you know you might die but healthy 50-year-olds don't, and especially children and young males. I mean, no, nobody under 60 should have any had any of these jabs at all because there's zero benefit for anybody. I, I don't believe there's a benefit for anybody at all, even if you're 85 and frail. But definitely for anybody under 60, they should not have been injected because, because the risks are far outweigh any benefit. I don't think there is any benefit at all. And often it seems like they stopped counting flu deaths. I'd want to know how many children die in a year of flu, influenza, normal flu. Right, yeah. Ian? Yeah. It's, well, I mean, it'd be yeah. the same thing. I mean, children do die of the flu, but it's 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 children who are already ill with something else. They're very immunosuppressed, or you know, they're on on cancer treating drugs or something, which it suppresses their immune system and things like that. Right? But they, uh, no healthy child dies of flu, do they? Not, not a healthy child, but if so, a child's got leukemia, that could tip them over the edge of things. So it's, it's the already very ill people that might die, or children. Now, right? Ian, what, what effect did the pandemic have, the, the, and the way they dealt with the pandemic, have on the NHS, the National Health Service in the UK? What effect well, did it have on them? It's completely demolished it. The waiting lists are over six million. There's six million people waiting for medical treatment now, which which is up from about two million before the pandemic, right? So it's tripled. Right. So instead of people waiting several weeks, they've now got to wait 
nine months or a year or 18 months before they get treated, which is going to kill more people because they won't find cancers so quickly because they won't be testing them and they won't be treating people quickly so that people more people will die there'll be more people depressed because they're waiting for you know they've fractured their hip they're waiting for a hip replacement and they can't get about at all right and they've got now got to wait ages to get a hip replacement so people are die of depression because it's all to their life their their you know standard of living <coughs> now you know, ian fauci did say one thing i think is beyond dispute he doesn't want to use the word mistake. That's what he says. That's true. Because well, it wasn't a mistake. It was deliberately policy. It was deliberate policy to cause as much economic devastation and kill as many people as possible to scare the living daylights out of people so they take the jab. It wasn't a mistake. It was deliberate policy to kill people. Now, I brought this up peripherally, but I'll ask you a hard question, and I don't know if you have an answer. Who do you think is in charge between these two groups, the WEF or NATO? Who is higher in the who who's oh, giving orders and who's following the w, them? What do you think? The, the WEF is higher up. <coughs> the WEF has got all the banks and whatever, so they're they're high, higher in the hierarchy than NATO. NATO's just got just just a just a conduit for the arms companies and making war. So NATO's only got the got the arms companies, but the WF have got all the banks, all the pharmaceutical companies, all the media companies, and everything else. I agree with you, and I think the the uh, humanity has never faced a threat like this public-private partnership. Groups like the WF is it's one thing if you're threatened by a company, a country, forgive me, like Germany or whoever. We know how to deal with that. That's been going on for ages. But I think this is a new type of threat. Uh, NGOs. It is because, I mean, yeah. these corporations, corporations like Google, have the same revenues as GDP of entire countries, don't they? Uh, you can, you yes. can put three or four tech companies together and they've got the same revenues as France or Germany or something, haven't they? No, that's, that's right. And, uh, uh, that's why I say to people, adjust your thinking. You're not dealing with a normal, you know, people like to put it off. What do you think about people who like to blame stuff on China right now? We get that a lot in your ass. They blame China for things. Any, everything that goes wrong, a lot of people who are Trump fans blame China. What do you think about China, Ian? Well, the economic problems aren't caused by China. Either. I mean, China, China's COVID policy, completely insane, still going for zero COVID. Every other country in the world has given up on that idea and they're still going for it and locking down huge cities right, at the smearest hint of a COVID case, aren't they? Which is causing economic devastation and hardship in China. Right, So that's completely ridiculous. Ian, we got to go because we're out of time here. But a great appearance, as always, and we loved hearing from you. Ian, great analysis, and thanks so much for your honesty and good humor. Ian Schilling on The Backstory.
are back on the backstory, the show that brings you the truth behind the headlines. I'm Lee Stranahan, and this is the backstory. So, great appearance as usual by our friend Ian Schilling from London. And uh, coming up this hour, we have the great John Kiriakou, former CIA officer and whistleblower. John Kiriakou, coming up in a half hour. And taking your calls, 202-521-1320. This is Backstory. Now, Rod, I want to talk about, did you see the controversy about PayPal that blew up on Twitter over the weekend? Uh, yeah, I think that was last week where they uh, were going to start fining people $2,500 for misinformation if you if you uh, put out information. So I, I, I'm going to disagree slightly. There's no evidence that they're actually were going to implement that. They've said information came out and that was not their intent. So I don't even have to take PayPal's word. The story was that starting on November 3rd, they were going to have a new policy where they could find people for presenting misinformation. Now, you can imagine, Rod, that I would oppose that. I'm an advocate for free speech, and I'm opposed to finding people for spreading misinformation. So I would oppose that. But very shortly after that story came out, PayPal said that's not our intent. That went up online accidentally. So let's say you believe them or you don't believe them. They never implemented a policy. And I think, let me ask you something. Has you can, can you think of a time when YouTube or Twitter or Facebook, for instance, announced a new outrageous policy and then they said, we're not going to do that actually, when they backed down? Some people are saying that PayPal backed down because they were caught. Well, I don't care why they backed down. If they backed down because they were caught, all I care about is that they backed down. Does that make sense, Ron? Right, yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, and so Dinesh D'Souza, and I like Dinesh personally, uh, but he is up on Twitter today telling people, drop PayPal. First off, I've been using PayPal for a long time. I don't have any particular love for PayPal, but I don't irrationally hate them either. I've used PayPal for a long time. If they had that policy, I would drop them. If they put that into place, I would be the first to be in line. I would criticize it on this show and everything else. But PayPal, people say there are alternatives to PayPal. That's because they don't understand. And the reason I care about PayPal existing is PayPal gives ordinary people the option to start their own business and take credit cards. It used to be a pain in the butt. If you wanted to take credit cards, you had to go through a bank or a merchant service, and most new companies didn't apply. They didn't qualify, I mean. so. What I'm, he said, drop PayPal. And I was like, why drop PayPal? They're not doing it. They've announced they're not doing that. So uh, some people are like, well, Lee, why are you defending PayPal? 
duh, because they're not doing it. I'm going to defend a company that's, and if, if I don't think that they were going to do it. I actually believe them that it was up, up there accidentally and it was not their intent to do it. But it's unquestionable that they're not doing it. So I think, and, and people are actually giving them crap saying the only reason they're doing it is they were caught. Well, be that as it may, I wish Twitter or YouTube or Facebook would occasionally get caught and then change their policy in result as a result of customer complaints. Does that make sense, Rod? <clears throat> yeah, Lee. Um, as of now, as we speak now on YouTube, if you talk about the election and or the, the upcoming midterm elections in the wrong way, you can be suspended. You can have your channel taken down. You know, if you've monetized it, they'll take the uh, monetization away, and they don't have any clear. Uh, you know what you what you're supposed to say, but you and I know that uh, that if you talk bad about the Democrats, uh, vote by mail, Joe Biden, any of those things, then yeah, that's that's a no no. But if you want to talk bad about Republicans, you you can do that all day. Yes, and and so I just want to mention that because I see people, and and because PayPal lets you again, people say there's other options, but they never name them. They say there are alternatives. Things like Cash App, and, and someone brought up Laura Loomer. Apparently, Laura Loomer has kicked off uh, PayPal. But I think what Laura had done, because she was kicked off Uber and Lyft too, I think that Laura saying she would not accept a ride with a Muslim Lyft driver or Uber driver was over the line. You know what I'm saying, Rod? Laura Loomer saying a, a person who's Muslim, and by the way, how would she know? She she would assume, she would say, well, the driver's name Saeed or Muhammad or whatever. I'm not going to ride with them. That is, I think, over the line. And I see why companies wouldn't want to deal with that. So I, I'm friendly with Laura, but I would tell her the same thing. Now, the other thing Kanye's getting accused of is anti-Semitism because of the stuff he said about Kim Kardashian sleeping with Pete Davidson. I don't understand how that's Zionism personally. And what I don't even know what he exactly said. Did you hear his comments, Rod? Yeah, I heard him. And he's he's kind of like all over the place. Lee, I can, I can send you the, the clip. Um, like I said, he's trying to conflate a lot of things into one message and uh, Nori, you know, he's not, he doesn't even know what Zionism is, Lee. And I know he, obviously he knows there's a lot of uh, people in the music industry that run these record labels and the head of YouTube uh, is Lior Cohen, uh, who's also Jewish. So he knows that there's a lot that he works with a lot of, you know, Jewish people and uh, these record companies. But the other stuff Kanye is talking about was over his head. Yeah, and possibly over Kanye's head too, Right. Oh yeah, for sure. I think I think Kanye is just upset. I think he's also coming at uh, Jared Kushner. He still he he talked about Jared Kushner on this show as well. So you know he's kind of like mixing that all into one and trying to regurgitate it to to the public. But it's real confusing. But I know what he's trying to say. He's trying to talk about Zionism and he's he's going back to things like Professor Griff read out of a book and and you know the problems with Zionism. But he's you know it's just not coming off clear. And. and that's why it's going to be interesting to see what happens 
with Kanye taking over Parler. What do you think of that, Rod? I think that's interestingly. Um, I don't, you know, like I said, I, let's see if he goes through with it. You know, he does a he says a lot of things, and sometimes he doesn't go through with it. But if he goes through with it, um, you know, he does have a he does have a big fan base, international, global. So it'll be interesting to see um, what he can do with it. If he has the right people, maybe he's got some people that have left Twitter. I, I think he has a relationship with uh, Jack Dorsey because I know uh, Jay Z was close friends with Jack Dorsey or still is. So maybe he has a relationship with Jack Dorsey. Well, yeah, and Ali Alexander, whose real name is Ali Akbar, Ali was friends with Jack too. You've seen the picture of them together. And Ali used to talk about hanging out with Kanye sometimes. So that's an interesting connection there. The problem Kanye has, if he doesn't understand Zionism completely, I see a lot of people on the right, a lot of people think Zionism is, you know, you you don't hate Jews, for instance. That that's Zionism. Have you seen that? Or you you don't think Israel should be nuked? Yeah, yeah, I have seen that from more on the right. That that's uh, that Israel has a right to exist. That then that, that's what Zionism means. And that's why Yaakov is so so great because he points out the fundamental thing about Zionism is it's. Uh, a way of thinking that twists people's thinking about race and religion. Yeah, and that, that's what he was, and that's what he was. He said at one point, and I'll send you the clip, and you can see it. That he tries to say, well, you know, you know, <laughs> he says that we were the original uh, Semites, and you know, so he's trying to say that, you know, he was trying to put out there like Judaism isn't a is a race. You know, that's what he was trying to say, but like it's just so confusing, and you know, he's fumbling all over himself. Right, and and the fact is. Farrakhan has said stuff that's anti-Jewish. There's no question about that. But again, part of the problem, as Yaakov Shapiro has pointed out, is that when you have Zionism, it makes it makes people confused. By saying Israel's the official state of the Jews, Yaakov and many ultra-Orthodox Jews say, no, it's not. Netanyahu is not my leader, right? But that gets lost. And so it's a confusing topic. I would advise Kanye to either get more educated or avoid it completely. Probably avoid it completely. And by the way, Candace Owens is not anti-Zionist as far as I know. She got her start kind of with Prager University, Dennis Prager. And I think she's pro-Israel partially because that's where the funding is. And I'm not convinced that she knows much more about Judaism or Zionism than Kanye, but she's probably gonna avoid it. What do you think, Rod? Oh yeah, no, for sure, she would avoid it. And, um, you know, it is interesting. I I don't know her husband's religious background. Um, Maybe maybe he's Jewish, I don't know. so, but it, it, I forgot that I forgot that she was with uh, Prager U, and yeah, obviously Dennis Prager's uh, heavy Israel supporter. That's right. And the reason you get someone like Candace Owens is so you can promote pro-Israel views and and use a fresh young face to do it. So, two zero two five two one thirteen twenty. If you want to call and talk about that or. Any subjects. I find it interesting that Elon and Kanye were all over the news. 
And they're not, either one of them are not people on the right. They're people who are, you know, they espouse some ideas the same as people on the right. Also, they're both, big, uh, they're both into the family, though. You know, Elon, Elon said he's going to keep having kids. And, you know, Kanye's uh, um, talks about his family a lot. And in, in today's paradigm, it's considered if you're a family man, you're conservative, but you're on the right. And at the risk of making some people's heads explode, do you know who else is pro-family? A lot of Muslims. And did you see the meeting, school board meeting in Dearborn, Michigan? Yeah, I'm going to have uh, Tom Nichols on tomorrow because he was, you know, to talk about that. We have a clip of uh, a Muslim father and uh, talking about the, the the pornography in the books and uh, promoting Grinder, the app Grinder, the the uh, homosexual social social meeting app where you get to meet and have sex and with. Uh, not, it's a, it's a hookup site. That's what yeah, Grinder is. Exactly. And it's a very clear hookup site. It's someone saying, "I'm in the restroom here or wherever." And that's what it's for. And in fact, that's where Ali was outed as at bare minimum bisexual a few years ago because someone who hates Ali found his grinder app, found his grinder profile, and it was clearly Ali. And so they you know did a story about that. But do you remember that? Yeah, no, I do. I remember the last time you were uh, you talked to Ali. You called him about the uh, Mike Cernovich thing. You had brought that up uh, on Periscope, and I remember that phone call, Lee. And it was it was embarrassing for Ali because he didn't know what to say about all the things you were asking him. Well, yeah, because it's factual stuff, and Ali, uh, unfortunately, has become a dishonest actor. In my opinion, he's saying things that he knows are not true, and his role. I'm surprised. He was not in front of January 6th hearing because Ali is clearly 100%. Ali Alexander was one of the organizers of January 6th. Right, Rod? There's no doubt about it. Ali was one of the organizers. Agreed, Rod? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. 100%. Lee. And I think they did play video footage of him at some type of uh, deposition or something, but um, I think they, I'm, I'm almost sure they did. I'm like 85% sure they did. But they didn't subpoena him. Right, exactly, and, exactly. And, you know, he got the Ray Epps treatment, so, except, you know, a little worse because at least they mentioned him and played a clip. Ray Epps was the invisible man during his January 6th hearings. But do you find it interesting that Ali who's one of the organizers, there's no doubt about it. You would think if you're going to subpoena him to people to get to the truth, you'd want to get one of the organizers up there. Yeah, so for sure. I have yeah, no- for sure. I, I agree with that. You know, once you once you outed him as being right there with Mike Cernovich and you asked him all the questions, uh, you know, I, w- I wish we still had the audio of that or it could be found somewhere. He didn't have any of these answers. Uh, you also brought up uh, with Mike Cernovich was on a date with this woman, and I guess you could call it borderline sexual assault and stuff like that. And you know, Ali didn't have anything to say for any of these things. Well, no, it was he was charged with rape. Cernovich at the time was charged with rape, and later the re- charges were reduced. But uh, I I think Cernovich took a plea deal, and that's there's no doubt that that happened. No one denies it, but uh, 
That was interesting. 202-521-1320. The great friend of the show and part of our backstory family of callers. The great killer of owls. Owl killer, what's on your mind? You know, you're bringing up Cernovich and can't you can't ignore. He's all around the Epstein thing. And he's all around Aaron Dur- uh uh, what's his name? Uh, Dershowitz, and Dershowitz is all over the Epstein thing, and Eps- and uh, Steve Bannon interviews Epstein for sixteen hours, and nobody hears it except for a couple of excerpts that people don't even know exist, and he's tied in with Mike Cernovich. There's something about that circle that does not make any sense, and I can't put my well. It makes sense if it makes sense if you factor in that all those people like to eat and pay their rent. And in some cases, like Bannon's, he lives in hotels. So his rent is, you know, a couple hundred bucks a night plus room service. But uh, that's the connection. Cernovich and Bannon know where the money is on the right. And it's pro-Zionist funding. And is there any doubt that Epstein was hooked up with the government of Israel? Uh, that's to me the the solution to that mystery. Does that make sense, Al Killer? It's deeper than that. You want to talk about Genie Energy? Okay. Remember Agnon Khashoggi? The uh, you know every he he was uh, Mujahideen front, and he you know he was tied in with Al Qaeda, and he was like double agent. Remember he was writing was it the Washington Post? He was writing for right when he gets killed in Turkey by um, the uh, prince in Saudi Arabia. You remember you remember that right? Sort sort of, yeah. Yeah, well... Well, I remember he was running for the Post, yes. Right, okay, so, and it's clear that the guy was, he was at least tied in with the Mujahideen, probably Al-Qaeda, and he gets killed inside the Turkish embassy. Well, his uncle sold Donald Trump a yacht in the 1980s, and where was that passport that they allegedly found from Epstein? Where did it belong to? Saudi Arabia. And I pointed out for years, but, you know, it's interesting... Saudi Arabia seems to be, because of their dislike of Joe Biden, moving out of U.S. orbit. And I'll tell you what else. I'll just mention this briefly, but we'll talk about it a little more in the show and a lot more this week. Russia, I've been saying for a while, Erdogan from Turkey, it looked to me like Erdogan was making a move away from the U.S. orbit. And although I have my problems with Erdogan, as someone who supported Syria, for instance, yeah, uh, Erdogan is clearly starting to align with Russia because they know that they believe that when Putin says the unipolar world is over, I think Erdogan believes that, as do I, and as I think you do. The unipolar world is over, and it's not coming back. And well, Turkey... It wants to be one of the poles in the new multipolar world. And Turkey, Turkey is just Turkey, just that player that you pay that you pay money to to keep them off the field. Now they got a two million man army, maybe three million man army, and every time they get out of line, we crash their economy. So they're like, okay, sure, they're paying us money to uh, you know that they're they're a NATO country that has nothing in common with the rest of Europe. And they don't believe in turning the energy off, just like Saudi Arabia. 
they're not going to eat bugs over there. So they're going to go with the people that are going to that want to keep energy moving. That, that I think that's I think that's over. The the statements that Putin and Erdogan were making, basically Erdogan said, "We're with Russia." That is a blockbuster statement, and he's he made such statements that I know the West is going to try to pressure strong arm Erdogan. However, I don't think it's going to work because they're saying when the West tries to strong arm their countries, and that's why I say ultimately Hungary may go, we're not going to be in with these guys because it's disastrous for us. So we'll talk about it more as the week goes on. But that's not what you called about, Al Keller. What's on your mind? So did you pay attention? I, I, it happened around Thursday. Did you hear what the president of Mexico said, um, uh, Blinken said to him? No. The president of Mexico made the claim that Blinken proposed merging United States, Mexico, and Canada. And Blinken said that's not true, but the president of Mexico came out and said that. I believe Tucker Carlson covered it. Um, it kind of went away, you know, with all the other, you know, with the Kanye West stuff and, you know, um, with, with the him staying on top of the whole Russia-Ukraine situation. That went kind of by the wayside. But I, I, w- I would look into that, and I, I, it's, it's very odd that nobody is really talking about that. And, you know, th- that goes back to the 2008 debate with um, the Republican um, debates where Ron Paul gets this video question about some of your supporters believe in a new world order and a uh, merger of the North America, Canada, or of America, Canada, and Mexico with the North American Union. He goes, well, Ron Paul Andrews said, he's like, well, it's not a conspiracy. Money's even been spent. Um, you know, what do you think NAFTA was? And there was, at the time, um, they were trying to run a highway paid for by a, a Spanish company from Mexico all the way through Canada. I mean, from Mexico all the way to Canada. And it was going to take a whole bunch of uh, Texas land by eminent domain. And the people of Texas shut it down. But it seems like that's back on, that those talks are back on. And I, I think that might be a move in the in the event of a collapse. It's either downsize or upsize. There's no other... With an economic collapse, there's no two ways about it. It won't stay the same. So I, I don't, I, I see that as a real, a, a, a potential um, a move that the globalists would definitely make, is trying to regionalize um, you know, the American continent. And that's what and this is really about. So let me tie this into something. I've said this before. The Democrats and Republicans are both corrupt. But the Democrats are worse. And someone challenged me on Twitter. They were saying the Democrats and Republicans, there's no difference. So let's talk about the New World Order. And let's talk about Ukraine. I cannot think of one Democrat who said anything critical of Ukraine. Not one. In other words, zero. And at least, and they pointed out Republicans are sucking them up, up to Ukraine too. That's true, but not all of them. The only people in Congress who said anything critical about Ukraine, and they don't say what I would say, they don't go as far as I would and come out in support of Russia. But the only con- people in Congress who said anything critical of Ukraine 
are all re Republicans. Am I missing? Am I missing anybody? Can you think of a Democrat who's criticized Ukraine? Because there's a big difference between zero and one. She left the party. Who? Gone. Tulsi. Oh, Tulsi. Tulsi, right. Because you're not allowed a diversity of opinion at all in the Democratic Party. And so, right. so Alcala, we got to go because John's on the line. Anything, I'll give you the last word about anything you want, Alcala. You know, you, you said there's much more room to, uh, there's your own opinion on the right. Um, left is, I, I, not all, not, not people that vote left all have a, uh, a, uni, uh, a universal idea, but the, the people in government are 100%. It, it's, it, there is no um, diverse opinion whatsoever. So let's pray for peace. That's all I, that's all I really want to say. Amen. Okay, Al Keller, thanks for the call. Great call, as usual. Let's take a short break. And when we come back, the great John Kiriakou will be joining us on The Backstory. I'm Lee Stranahan, and we're on 105.5 FM, AM 1390, in the capital of Empire Lies, Washington, D.C. Joining us now, co-host of the show, the Sputnik show, Political Misfits, on Michelle Witte, the great John Kiriakou. Hey, John, how you doing? Doing well, buddy. How are you? Fine. Although I have trouble, I'll try it again. Michelle Witte. See, I can do it, John. So that's your co-host <laughs> on the on Political Misfits. And how's it going for you on Political Misfits? It's going very well. That show is fun. It, I'll tell you, it's two hours. It goes very quickly. Good fit for me. And uh, like you, I get to criticize anybody I want, talk about whatever issue I want. And, uh, you know, the only shame is we've been deplatformed by everybody. And, and we went from, you know, 35, 30... 8,000 viewers and listeners a day down to a couple of hundred. But, uh, you know, onward and upward. What are you going to do? No, right. And, and uh, you know, Kanye is going to be buying Parler. So maybe you'll have a platform right. with Kanye. <laughs> you know, I'll tell you something funny about Parler. Our friend uh, Bruce Fine, uh, former deputy uh, associate attorney general of the United States, one of the country's leading constitutional scholars and and probably my best friend. Uh, he uh, he joined Parler when Parler was first started and quickly rose up to be the number one most followed person on Parler. And um, and he went to the the owner and said, uh, look, you know, I'm, I'm bringing in all this business. I have, you know, one hundred ninety thousand followers or whatever it was at the time. Um, how about you start throwing a, a couple of bucks my way? And they said, oh, we're going broke. Sorry, can't give you anything. And he just went silent. Next thing you know, Kanye West is buying Parler. So maybe this will turn the thing around, make it profitable. Yeah, it's probably a bargain sale price. And I don't know anything about yeah. the deal, obviously. But my guess is, you know, like five bucks and a half a tuna sandwich, something like that. That right. could be the deal. So right. in in. 
honor freedom of speech and freedom of thought. Let me point out in full disclosure, we're going to talk about Erdogan from Turkey. And oh, now I'm going to get all riled up. Right, because you, you don't like Erdogan, right? Not even a little bit. Now, I have, you know, I, I don't particularly like Erdogan, but I think your problem runs deeper because you, A, know more about him, and also because Turkey's re- re- relationship with Greece where you, you're you a dual citizen, right, John? Right, right, dual citizen. So Turkey's relationship with Greece, you know, I may have a problem being of Irish-American extraction with Oliver Cromwell, for instance. Right. You know, Cromwell's not good to us Irish. But uh, right. your, your problem with Erdogan involves partially your feelings towards Greece, right? And there was something oh, yeah. recently uh, about Erdogan and naked refugees and Greece. Do you want to tell us that story, John? Yeah, there was a boatload of, uh, what was it, 70 or 80 refugees uh, that entered Greek waters yesterday. And this is not unusual. Uh, the Greeks have received thousands and thousands, tens of thousands of refugees, almost exclusively economic refugees, coming from Turkey. The Turks have been paid by the European Union to keep them in refugee camps until they can be resettled in Europe. And Erdogan takes EU money and then just puts them on rickety uh, rickety boats and sends them to Greece. Because the idea is the Greeks are overwhelmed with uh, these immigrants and it'll make the Greek economy collapse, which is always in Turkey's interest. So these... I I think it was close to 80 completely nude refugees just sort of washed up into Greek waters. Um, And they said that the Turks had taken their clothing before they got onto this boat and the Turks had forced them out into Greek waters. Now, this is this is clearly a human rights violation. You know, they're very it's funny. There are very clear rules that all of the signatories um, to the United Nations uh, convention on the treatment of migrants and immigrants uh, have agreed to. And you can't take their clothes. Nudity is considered to, forced nudity is considered to be a form of torture. You can't do it. And Erdogan did it just to embarrass the Greeks, to force the issue into the news, to show the Greeks that he can push refugees into their country anytime he wants, and there's practically nothing they can do about it. But this is Erdogan, you know, and this is this also points to a to a deeper problem right now um, between Greece and Turkey. And the problem is that, as odd as it may sound, Turkey is still a democratic country and it's got an election coming up and they have inflation that the Turks say is 87 percent. The Economist says that it's about 100 um, percent. Erdogan has used an iron fist against his enemies, real and perceived. He's stripped the the armed forces of their most of its most talented officers. He's arrested some of the most important scholars and professors uh, in the country and jailed them with these draconian sentences, 15, 20, 25 years, just for for speaking out against him. But there's this election. And what he needs to do to win the election is to rally his people around him. And what better way to rally your people than with a nice little war? 
And so he has repeatedly tried to provoke the Greeks who, to their credit, and I know I'm biased, but I mean, I, I think this is clear to everybody. The Greeks just haven't taken the bait. Um, there are dozens of, of uh, violations of Greek airspace by the Turkish Air Force every single day. There are hundreds of ships that have entered into Greek waters. In some cases, they've even planted the Turkish flag on, on unoccupied Greek islands. Um, they've threatened the Greek island of Gastelorizo, which is off the southern coast of Turkey, threatened to just take it over by force, and then said, NATO's not going to come to your help or come to your aid for this little island, 1.8 miles long. And uh, just over the weekend, they tried to provoke a, a fight between two ships, a, a Greek destroyer and, an, and a Turkish destroyer, in the northern Aegean. Now, there was a summit in Europe the other day of all of the heads of state of the European countries. And um, while Greek Prime Minister Mitsotakis was giving uh, a, a five-minute presentation at this dinner, Erdogan interrupted him, was shouting at him. Other heads of state were telling Erdogan to stop speaking, to sit down. Erdogan ended up walking out. And then on his way out, he told a reporter that the Greeks better watch themselves because they may find themselves in a fight that they can't win in the Aegean. And the reporter said, are you saying that you're considering invading Greece? And Erdogan answered, now you understand. So this is a very, very big problem. And the, the Western media isn't quite focused on it yet. I mean, you'll, you'll, get the, you'll get a little two paragraphs about the argument at the dinner. You'll get an article about the, the nude refugees but this is deeper and more troubling and more dangerous than I think most people realize. Now, something, the other thing, we talked about this with Tarif earlier. Erdogan recently had a press conference with Putin. Are you aware of that? Yes. Okay, so if people say, why would Putin or Russia ally with that guy? Why would they do it? Let me ask another question. Why is the U.S. currently allied with that guy? Before anyone criticizes yeah. Putin for potentially dealing with him, how has it been with the U.S.? Has the U.S. or Europe proven any ability to control Erdogan or even desire, really? The only Absolutely time not. And, and that's, a, right, that's they, a very they, good point that you bring up, um, Lee. This, it's a very important point. You know, of course, Turkey is a member of NATO. But Turkey has refused to impose sanctions on Russia. That makes the United States angry on the one hand. It makes the United States happy on the other hand, because if there's somebody who can whisper into Putin's ear, hey, maybe you should think about peace talks, it's going to be Erdogan. Um, Erdogan uh, is, the, is the president of a country that borders Syria, that borders Iraq, uh, that borders Armenia. And uh, it, it, his, his geographic location is such that he has to be taken seriously by the leaders of all of, all of these countries. Um, he even purchased a, a Russian, uh, what was it, the S-300 uh, uh, missile system. And because he did that, uh, Congress cut off the, the sale of F-35s to Turkey. So even though Turkey is a member of NATO, uh, Turkey as a country— over the longer term, and Erdogan as its president 
has tried hard to to maintain this not neutral but non-aligned foreign policy position. So we want Erdogan in our camp. We hate dealing with him. The Russians want him in their camp, and they probably hate dealing with him too. But it seems to me like we try to control Erdogan, and it backfires. We, we try to control him. It doesn't backfire when he votes for Sweden and uh, Finland to join right. NATO. We, right. we only pressure him on stuff we really want, not human rights violations. And even though yes. he seems to be backtracking on that promise, right? Yes, he seems to be. Now they're saying that Sweden and Finland will probably both join NATO, but at different times. And it's because Erdogan's putting his foot down on Sweden, because there are so many Turkish um, uh, refugees in Sweden that have gotten Swedish citizenship that are also anti-Erdogan activists. Uh, Finland doesn't have that problem. So Erdogan doesn't care if Finland joins NATO or not. But Sweden, he's going to try to extract something. Yeah, and let me let me now, add another thing too, Lee. Um, you yeah. know, this isn't this isn't a new development that that Erdogan gives us trouble on foreign policy, and that he's not willing to be bullied by the United States. If you go if you go back to the Iraq War uh, in two thousand three, two thousand four, two thousand five, Erdogan would not let us launch uh, bombing runs from Interlik Air Base in southern Turkey. Um, we had to launch them from, from other bases around the world because he said, you know, we can, we can refuel there, but we cannot bomb Iraq from Interlik. That was the rule. Now, John, it seems to me like the Russians have in part given Erdogan an alternative because realistically, being part of the EU and being part of NATO brought some advantages to Erdogan. But now the cooperation organization, if that is India, China, Iran, if it, it's a viable alternative in terms of the size of the market for Turkey and in terms of solving some of their economic problems. So try to think objectively, because I know you can do it, John. Even though you hate Erdogan, imagine if you were an advisor to Erdogan, who do you think the culturally and economically the better deals with Russia and its organization or the U.S. and its organization? Yeah, you know, there's there's no question. There's no question at all that it's with Russia and the East. You know, it's funny to me that um, that Erdogan wants to remain a member of NATO. Um, funny because he's always complaining of disrespect in NATO. The truth of the matter is, uh, there's no mechanism in the NATO charter to expel a member. Even if a NATO member like Turkey invades another NATO member like Greece, there's nothing in the, in the NATO charter that would allow the other NATO members to vote to expel Turkey. Um, and also in the NATO charter is the one-member veto. So if there's anything that Turkey likes or sorry, dislikes, even if all the other NATO members vote yes, if, if Turkey votes no, then the measure's killed. And so he's got some power there. He's got some authority. He also recognizes he's never going to be a member of the European Union. He blew that a decade ago. So now the smartest thing to do economically and probably militarily is to look east 
to look at Iran and Azerbaijan and Russia, China, India, you know, the, they, the Turks make a lot, a lot of uh, Turkmenistan as well because they're both Turkic people. Um, even in, in Iraq, uh, there are the Turkmen who are also Turkic people and speak a Turkic language. So there's a lot of opportunity for Turkey in the East. I think there's far less opportunity for Turkey in the West. And also in general, keeping with your friend Bruce Fine, I know he's a libertarian, keeping with my libertarian views, I'm going to say that Putin's policy of not trying to force Turkey into things, of right. but by dealing with them on trade, he's going to be more effective by, ironically, by not trying to force Erdogan to do his bidding. He's going to be more effective because his argument will be, look, we want to deal with these people economically. Stop being yeah. aggressive against them. Does that make sense, John? That does make sense. And I think that that's really what Erdogan is looking to do. You know, one thing about Erdogan, too, you, you don't have to like the guy to understand that he is a consummate political player, just like Vladimir Putin is. He has survived a lot worse than this. A lot more direct threats to his, to his presidency. Assassination attempts, right? Assassination attempts, exactly right. And so he knows what he's doing. You know, it's like this oil that's been discovered around Cyprus. Cyprus, it turns out, no pun intended, is sitting on an ocean of oil. And so the Cypriots, the Greeks, the Israelis, and the Egyptians have begun drilling. Well, none of this, excuse me, none of this oil is in Turkish territorial waters. It's all in, in Cypriot, Egypt, uh, Cypriot, Egyptian, and Israeli territorial waters. And one little finger that, that goes up to the Lebanese coast. But uh, Erdogan has sent drilling ships, and he always has a destroyer, a Turkish naval destroyer, accompany the, the drilling ships. He's repeatedly disrupted drilling. Uh, Cypriot drilling. And uh, the bottom line is he's bigger and stronger than everybody else in the region and he wants his cut. And so I hate to say it, but, you know, this naked force or threat of the use of naked force may end up making him a couple of bucks, too. And also, among other things, you're a heroic whistleblower, but you're also a college graduate, right? So unlike me, who I, I am quit, a college graduate. Not me. I'm a GED graduate. <laughs> so yep. you know more about a lot of things than me. But on geography, how will the Turkey-Russia alliance affect the Black Sea and that region? Yeah, that's a tough one. You know, there are a couple of serious fights among countries that used to make up the, so the Soviet Union. You have Armenia and Azerbaijan constantly fighting. Um, they had a border skirmish recently, but a couple of years ago when there was a war, there was an actual all-out war, and the Azerbaijanis just clobbered the, uh, the Armenians. Now, the Armenians are pro-Russian, pro, pro and the Azerbaijanis are pro-Turkish, and both the Russians and the Turks got the two sides to back off. Similarly, there was a fight a couple of weeks ago between, I think it was Kyrgyzstan and Tajikistan. And the Russians had to step in after something like 200 or 220 people were killed on the border over the weekend. So 
I think that that as Turkey asserts itself farther east, it makes Turkey the big regional peacekeeper in the area in a in a position similar to that of Russia's. And with that enhanced political position comes enhanced trade opportunities as well. You know, for so many years, Lee, the Turks put all their eggs in the European Union basket. Um, they even did away with their death penalty. You remember they, when, when the Turks caught Abdullah Öcalan, the founder of the Kurdistan Workers Party, the PKK, uh, they were going to execute him right quick. And the EU said, wait a minute, wait a minute. We don't have the death penalty in the European Union. If you uh, want to join the EU, you have to do away with your death penalty. And they did. And they gave Ocalan life without parole. He's on this little island in the Bosporus serving life without parole. But they even did away with their death penalty to join the EU. And then after all was said and done, the EU is like, nah, we don't really want the Turks in the European Union anyway. So what else do they have to do but to turn east? Turning west got them nothing. Yes, and, and cu- culturally, it seems to me that Turkey's a, a clearer fit for the east than the west. What do you think about oh, that? Yeah. yeah, no doubt about it. You know, we we complain, we Greeks complain all the time in sort of a half-joking way. Um, do you know why we eat baklava and not chocolate? It's because we miss the Renaissance. You know, the west was undergoing this Renaissance with you know, Michelangelo and Leonardo da Vinci and and the the most fabulous painting in the history of mankind. We were living as slaves of the Turks at the time. We were their slaves for 450 years. They, they would rape our women and sell our children in the slave markets. And uh, so we didn't even know that the Renaissance was taking place. So Greece, the Balkans, uh, Albania, these are these are still kind of culturally eastern countries because the Turkish occupation was so so heavy and so long lasting. And I also think that you know, for instance, at the beginning of the military operation, Turkey was trying to be the person to negotiate the peace settlement between Ukraine and Russia right at the beginning of things. Oh yeah, it's it's it seems to me that Putin would give Erdogan the chance to be the person who Erdogan seems to want to be sometimes, which is an international player. Do you agree with that? Without a doubt. Without a doubt. Your recollection is correct that it was it was Erdogan who, when the fighting first started, offered himself up as a mediator. Um, the timing, of course, uh, wasn't right. The Russians uh, you know, had something that they, that they needed to get done. And so there were no peace talks. But if you look around the world, who else would there be with that kind of authority who could sit the Ukrainians and the Russians down at the negotiating table? I honestly can't think of anybody. Maybe, maybe, possibly the UN Secretary General, but who takes him seriously? Maybe, possibly oh. Xi Jinping. But they, they like to stay out of things like that. I think Erdogan's the only one with, with the ability— uh, and the proximity to do it. Well, apparently not the richest guy in the world. Apparently not no. Elon Musk. Because no. when he proposed, a, did you see Elon Musk peace proposal? Do, do over the elections in Donbass. Yeah, yeah. You know, and I think he, he made the whole thing up. Well, 
guy's a bozo. I think I, I, you've had dinner with him, right? Yeah, yeah, I sure did. 2009. Now, so it got Elon, it got Elon put on the kill list. And let me let you, what do you think of the kill list? And the fact that our colleague, the great Sputnik correspondent, Wyatt mm-hmm. Reed, has been put on that kill list. I really, I've been talking about, I think you and I, John, when you were the co-host of the show, we've been talking about the kill list for a long time, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, we sure have. But, and and this is a but serious I really thing. I really took it personally. Oh, yeah. I really took it personally when Wyatt Reed was put on that kill list because he is and, a colleague seems, of ours. Yeah, he's a colleague of ours and a terrific journalist. And it seems like they've actually and taken a, a couple of shots at him. Yeah, and a great guy, all around great guy. They've actually taken a couple of shots at him. Um, they hit the hotel where he's staying, and uh, and they hit what within a block of him again yesterday. I think it was. I think they're actively trying to kill him. You know, when when I first saw the kill list, I I looked at it just to see if there's anybody I had ever heard of. Right. Well, not only are there people I've heard of, there are half a dozen friends of mine. Jim Jatris is on that kill list. Jim really? Jatris. We go I to like the same Jim, church. Yeah. I like Jim. We go to the same church. We're in the same men's group. He's on my show at least once a week. I mean, this is a sweetheart of a guy. They just don't like his opinions. Uh, Roger Waters, the great member of, of Pink Floyd. Roger Waters is now on the list. And, uh, you know, so many people that that we've had on Sputnik shows who are regional experts that uh, the Ukrainians just arbitrarily decided need to die. Now, uh, speaking of, uh, let's talk about your activism. You you recently spoke at an event supporting Julian Assange, right, John? Yeah, downtown in uh, here in Washington at the Justice Department. So as in the last few minutes we have together, and it's great to have you on the backstory. Again, always good to talk to you. My pleasure. Uh, but, but John... Talk about Julian Assange and what struck you about that event you did? Because it seems to me the the Assange, the pro-Assange people are tireless. I've got to say, mm. even mm. when things look bleak, I really am proud of the pro-Assange community. John, what so say true. you? So true. You know, what struck me the most at this recent event this was a sort of a sister event to the big one in London where where people held hands and literally ringed Parliament even across two bridges, so both sides of the Thames all the way around. Um, you know, we've done we've done four of these events at the Justice Department, and usually it's uh, it's twenty or thirty people, and uh, and we're happy to have them. Right? This event was unlike any other Assange event I've ever been to in the United States. There were, I'm going to guess 2,000 people. I heard estimates of like 1,500 to 4,000. I don't think there were 4,000, but it was by far, by a factor of, of, you know, 100. It was the the biggest event that we've ever had for Julian Assange. Um, We walked around the, the Justice Department, People were beeping horns in support as they were driving by. Even tour bus drivers were beeping their horns. And the best part about it, Lee, was that there are so there were so many diverse um, organizations, activist organizations, uh, organizations from the Catholic Church, for example, 
um, civil rights, human rights, civil liberties. The Libertarian Party's 2020 vice presidential nominee was one of the speakers. Ben Cohen, the co-founder of Ben and Jerry's, was there. He was one of the speakers. Chris Hedges spoke. Um, I spoke. Randy Credico, Kevin Gastala. There were just so many, <coughs> excuse me, so many speakers from so many diverse organizations, all in support of Julian Assange. Um, Julian is suffering terribly. He was diagnosed again a few days ago with COVID. Uh, it's the second time he's come down with COVID, uh, but he's in that bleak, awful uh, maximum security uh, penitentiary in in South London. And, um, and this, we still and don't John, have any idea me, next steps. I know you speak sometimes to Stella, Julian's wife. Does this right. information come from Stella? Yeah, Stella was especially happy, too. I mean, she said that he was sick, but she was especially happy about the turnout in London. They had like 20,000 people in London. It was it was beyond anything that they expected. <laughs> and did you see any because I saw no mainstream press coverage of this. Zero. In fact, we made fun of that in several of our speeches over the course of the day. Um, not even the Washington Post's junior reporter who covers demonstrations bothered to show up. And let's let's point out that Assange, you know, recently uh, Edward Snowden became a citizen of Russia. Yes. And Assange has avoided uh, Assange could have gone to Russia, I think, right. at some point years ago, and he avoided that. What's your understanding of why Julian Assange avoided that association? And in retrospect, right. do, you, do you think that was a mistake? Well, the easy answer is yes, that was a mistake. Um, I understand why he did it, because the American side was already accusing him of, of being a, a Russian agent. That's why he elected not to go. But in retrospect, he should have. Yes, and I think that fear of being labeled a Russian agent holds a lot of exactly. people back. And that's why I'm so adamant and proud to say that I stand with Russia. Because if I said I work with Putin, but I hate Putin, they'd still attack me. So sure they would. John, great, great appearance. Thanks so much for being on the show. Take care of yourself. We'll talk to you again soon, buddy. Thank you, Lee. And thanks so much to your great Ian Schilling for being on the show. We'll be back tomorrow on the show that brings you a diversity of opinion. This is Backstory.